The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning. So as we get into the Word, I want to encourage you to look for a few things. Now, I want to give you these few things uh, that we can look forward to. And also, once we get there, I want to make sure that we, we catch what the Word of God is saying concerning these matters. So if you want to write them down, you're welcome to. Uh, one, we're going to find what Jesus came for. What Jesus came for. Now, I love being a Christian. I, I think it's important for us as Christians to understand the point and the reason and and get into the Word and find out why it is that God's done the things that He's done. We enjoy the benefits of these things. It's important for us to have understanding of them. A second thing that we're going to find is what Jesus, you're hearing me correctly, tasted. What Jesus tasted. It sounds a little strange, but we're going to get into the Word and we're going to find out what it is that Jesus tasted. A third thing that we're going to find is what we're meant to spread. What you and I are meant to spread. As we get into the Word, we're going to find these things. I want to jump right in and uh, discuss what Jesus came for. So what Jesus came for. If you're taking notes, I'd like for you to take down this passage of Scripture. John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. We're going to find out what Jesus came for. And Jesus is speaking, and He reveals this very clearly. As He's speaking, He says these words. He says, I have come that they, that's me and you, might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus revealed why He came. I came that they, that's me and you, I came that you, I came that these people, all these people sitting right here, Jesus came that we might have life. I want you just to say life. Life. Life is the point. Jesus came so that we could have life. I want us to step into the Word this morning and gain an understanding of life, the life that Jesus came to bring to us so that we could have it. And I love that He wants us to have it in abundance. That it's not just about getting by, but it's about thriving. It's about being successful in life. There's so many ways that we could define success. We're going to see some ways in the Scripture here. I think it's important for us as we come into this understanding that we set this in a high place in our thinking. Jesus came so that we could have life. Now, I want you just to pause for a second and consider this. Consider how the opposite of life is exalted and glorified in the world today. I mean, I lived in a large city for a few years, and I remember every night you would turn on the news and it was so well produced, and everyone was put together, and, and the lighting was great, and, and all of the, the graphics were great, but the news was terrible. And there were good things that happened in the city, but nobody cared about those good things. The things that were glorified, and the things that were exalted, the things that were put in front were the terrible things. So you would see this woman with her makeup on and her big smile, and see what she would say something like this, triple murder today in South Dallas. And you'd be thinking, my God, woman, that's terrible. How can you smile when you're saying that? But the things that the world embraces and the things that are glorified are dark and they're grim. They're not life-giving. As believers, we need to put life on, on our forefront of our thinking. We need to put life up front and understand that life needs to be embraced and celebrated. 
life. Life is a choice. That's a little strange for us sometimes because we get into positions as it concerns life, but life is a choice. Now, I'm not talking about in the abortion uh, debate, but I'm talking about in the Scripture. Life is given to us as an option. Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse 15 and going through verse 16. Listen to this very clearly. God is speaking and He says, I've set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. Those are two pretty opposite things, right? They're set right in front of us. Every single moment, every situation, we're constantly faced with a choice. We're constantly faced with a fork in the road. There's life and prosperity. Isn't it interesting that God would connect those two things? And then you would have death and adversity. Again, interesting that those two things would be connected. No matter what we deal with, no matter what we face, we're constantly at a crossroads of either choosing life and prosperity or death and adversity. Now, I want to make this a big deal because I think it's a really big deal and should be considered with great depth and detail. I mean, I think it it might seem petty to consider this crossroads in every single decision, but I think it would really serve believers well if we did. What if we saw every time we turned on the television as a crossroads? That I have a decision I can make. I can choose life and prosperity based on what I select to view. Or I can choose death and adversity based on what I choose to view. What if every time we handled conflict, we realize in this conflict I have a decision. I can choose life and prosperity or I can choose death and adversity. What if every time we dealt with any situation or any circumstance, we took the time to consider that we're at a fork in the road. We can turn one way and that way be life and prosperity, or we can turn another way, and that way be death and adversity. Life and prosperity is a choice. As God is speaking, He goes on to say this, I've set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk in His way. Keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. He goes on to say this in verse 19. That would be Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Choose life in order that you may live. Our ability to live is conditional upon our choices. To live the way God designed. To walk out the promises. We read the promises of God in the Scripture And we long for them. We hold prayer meetings and and ministry sessions where we're desiring to see these things. I think we ought to consider the practical. Am I making the choices and the decisions in my life that lead to those things? Or am I making the choices and decisions in my life that lead away from those things? I want to talk about life in greater detail. But before we talk about life, I want to take a moment and talk about death. The message is not about death, but I want to come into a good understanding of death really quickly because there's a lot of bad understanding. You see it in our our media, you see it in our movies, in our entertainment. You see a lot of people in an attempt to be artistic or poetic, they create scenarios and situations that exalt and glorify death to a position that he, and I said he on purpose, has no place being exalted or glorified to. I want to give a few passages of Scripture. But in making these passages of Scripture clear, I want to make this point. 
that death is not our entry into heaven. Death's not a doorway to heaven. Nor is death to be embraced at any time as a friend. But death is our enemy. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26 says, The last enemy that will be destroyed of all of the enemies of God is death. Death's not the doorway into heaven. Rather, Jesus is the doorway into heaven. John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says this, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Now this might sound petty, but I think it's important because Jesus deserves all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the worship, all of the praise. He is worthy. And for us to exalt death in any way, shape, or form is to take away from Jesus what Jesus rightly deserves and give it to another. Jesus makes this very clear in John chapter 14, verse 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We say the life. The life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. No one has ever gone into heaven or been moved into life with God through death. Now this creates a struggle in us because we realize that that people pass away, their their bodies fail, that there are, are those who have died, but there's a difference between dying and death in the Scripture. It sounds like the splitting of hairs, but I want us to pay close attention to some passages so that we can have a right understanding. I don't want to celebrate death at all. If Jesus came to bring life. I want our eyes to be fixated on what Jesus came to bring. And I want us to embrace and pursue life with all of our being. That we might have that which he came to bring us. John chapter 8 verse 52 it says this. Jesus is speaking and he says if anyone keeps my word he'll never taste death. How cool is that? But now, if you're like me, you read that and, and your brain kind of pumps the brakes a little bit. Maybe your brain just locks them up and comes to a screeching halt because you know people who have died. But Jesus is not a liar. What he's saying is true. We need to find out what it is that he's saying and how we can come into alignment and agreement with it, even if it assaults our current thinking. That doesn't mean that his statement is wrong. That means that our thinking is wrong. Jesus came to bring life and life in abundance. What that's going to mean is that Christians know life, not death. When he says these words in John chapter 8, when he says anyone that keeps my word, he'll never taste death, he's coming into agreement with words that he spoke, and I want you to write these down. In Matthew 16, 28, in Mark 9, 1, and in Luke 9, 27. And in all of these passages, Jesus is saying the same thing. When he's saying there's those who are here right now. So you're talking some 2,000 years ago. There are people right now that are walking and talking and eating and and drinking and, and fellowshipping. There are people who are here right now who won't taste death. He says they won't taste death until they see the King of kings, until they see the Son of Man in all of His glory. 
It's an interesting statement and a comment. And there's a place in the Scripture where we see this come to pass. When you see the death of a man named Stephen. Stephen who is is positioned as a deacon in the church. He's a Christian. He's a believer. He's a servant. And he's a servant who is preaching the gospel and, and performing signs and wonders. I mean, this guy is a believer of believers. This man is doing things that if, if he were to be seen and exalted today in the church, they would lift him high on a podium and put him on television and say, this guy is the guy. Stephen is living out his life in such a way that God is moving in power through him. And the moment of his death is recorded in the Scripture. His body does die. Something happens. But he's not confronted with a grim reaper, a a hooded individual with the sickle coming to claim his soul. Upon his death, the word says that his body falls asleep. He looks up toward heaven and he sees Jesus standing in all of his glory. Everything that Jesus said, there are some here even now who won't taste death. Rather, they're going to see the Son of Man in all of his glory. And I've always wondered, why did you put this in the Scripture concerning Stephen? What's the point of this other than to be an example to us how the believer passes away? That there's this wonderful historic account recorded for you and I so that we can come into reconciliation of what it means when Jesus says, there are those here today who will keep my word and they won't die. They won't taste death. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 reads like this. I told you we're going to find out what Jesus tasted. It reads like this. We see Jesus who was humbled and made lower. Remember, he took on the form of a man. Namely, Jesus became became a man because he was sent into this world to undergo the suffering of death. Now crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God, Jesus might taste death for everyone. I want to share with you a thought concerning that. As we move into talking about life, I think it's important that we understand that Jesus tasted death so that I won't have to. Jesus tasted death so that you won't have to. Jesus speaks these words in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. He says, I'm the living one. I was dead. Can you say was? Yeah, that's past tense. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death in Hades. What that means is there's absolutely no control that death has over our lives when we're in Jesus. He's lost it all. My life is not subject to death. Not anymore. My life is now subject to life. The life that Jesus Christ has brought. When we become believers, when our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, we're no longer subject to death. And when you think about it, it makes perfect sense because death is the result of something. Death is the result of sin. The Scripture says the wages of sin is death. It means if we perform sin, then the result is death. But when Jesus takes away all of our sin, then how can there be any death? If there's no sin, there's no death. 
And when we read the scripture concerning our bodies, because we get hung up on our bodies, the body that passes away, the body that falls asleep, however you want to word it, the word makes it very clear that all is temporary, that your body right here, right now, will rise again. This one, this body will rise again. There's absolutely nothing that this body will go through between now and the trumpet sound that isn't temporary. When Jesus says, anyone who keeps my word, he'll never taste death. He's revealing something very strategic and specific. We need to reconcile it with passages out of Revelation so that we can have an understanding that death is a being, an entity. Much like you would see angels and other created things. I have no idea what he looks like because the scripture really doesn't paint a picture. But he does exist. You can see death in Revelation chapter 6. Specifically in verse 8, it talks about one who sat on a horse. When the seals are being broken, and if that sounds strange to you, you just have to read it for yourself. But that death is riding on a horse, and that Hades, another entity, is following with him. And when you read about these scary creatures, these scary beings, these beings that are fit for horror movies, we ought to come into a place of gratitude where we realize they're not chasing me anymore. They have no claim on me anymore. And Jesus speaks this in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. It's revealed concerning the end of times, the, the judgment. It's recorded as follows. At its time, then, death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. It's the second death, the lake of fire. These are entities and beings that are going to be punished. They're going to know the lake of fire. Not me. Not you. Not those that are found in the Lamb's book of life. So here's what I want to come to as we wrap up talking about death in order to get into life. When Jesus makes his promise to us that there are those right here and now because he came to bring life, that there are those who will only know life, that even in the moment of our body failing temporarily, our body passing temporarily, we don't pass through death. We enter into life. There is no grim reaper to stare down the believer. There is no death or Hades to steal away his soul but what has been purchased by the blood of the Lamb sees the glory of God. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus makes it very clear who He is. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even if He dies. That's kind of a puzzle, isn't it? But when you take into consideration what it is that Jesus has been saying, when you take into consideration the Scripture and the example, you can understand that as our body passes, every separation that's temporary, we don't pass to death. We go into life. The life that Jesus has come to bring to us. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who believes in me will never die. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54 says this, that death is swallowed up in victory. It goes on to say, thanks be to God who's brought us this victory in Jesus Christ. 
Now, the reason for talking about this, because it's an odd topic, and for a lot of people, it can be a grim topic or a sensitive topic, is because we are not meant to glorify death, period. Jesus came to bring life. And I want to ask us and encourage us to exercise caution in observing the things that glorify death, that speak the things that glorify death, that whether it's music, whether it's television, whether it's even in our own vocabulary, I want us to exercise caution and to be careful that we don't find ourselves giving praise to one that does not deserve. Jesus is the door to heaven. Jesus is the bringer of life. Jesus is the victor over death, the one who conquered the grave, who has the keys to death in Hades. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I want our eyes to be fixated on life. So now let's move into life. Let's talk about life. If Jesus came to bring life, then I want it to be at the forefront of our conversation. I want it to be at the forefront of what we celebrate in our homes and in our our fellowship, life in all of its abundance. As you're taking notes, I want you to take this down and turn there, if you're willing. John chapter 1, verse 1. I want to read verses 1 through 5. The Gospel of John chapter 1. begins like this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we're talking about Jesus here. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. Now I want us to pay close attention to verse 4. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Some translations will say the darkness did not overpower it. I mean, look around the room. You see people, right? You see green carpet with little polka dots. I vacuumed this carpet the other day. It's weird to vacuum carpets with dots all over it. You just swear you see something. But you can look around and see things, right? I mean, why can you see the person sitting next to you? Why can you see the the chairs and the wall? Why can you see the banners on the, the walls that are hanging, making their proclamation? Why can you see those things? Light. It's light. If we turned off all the lights, you wouldn't be able to see those things. It's light. But it's not just that it's light. It's that light is winning. Light is winning in this room right now. Thanks to the electric company. But light wins. Darkness can't overpower it. It can't comprehend it. Light wins. When Jesus comes to bring life and life abundant, he does so as it records here in John, that in Jesus... In Him was life, and life was the light of men. It's what's going to enter into our lives and overcome all that is dark, all that is corrupt, all that is evil. I want us to be embracers of divine life. So how do we get that? How do we come to a place as believers where we're obtaining this that Jesus came to bring? 
I mean, we can understand in the Scripture that, that Jesus, in Him, is life, and life is the light of men. It sounds poetic, and it sounds wonderful, but I need to understand that. I want to be able to intentionally see that that is active in my life. I want to give you a passage of Scripture out of the Gospel of John. John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. It reads like this, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want you just to say, the light of life. Okay, do you know what that is? I mean, it's one of those things that if I try to picture it, I don't even know how to picture it. But it's obviously in the Scripture It's right there. Jesus is talking about the light of life. That very life that He brought into the world that became the light of men. The life that I want us to seek after and pursue. To no longer glorify or exalt anything unworthy, but to pursue that which Jesus came to bring. Life and life in abundance. And as you read this scripture, you see incredible instruction. Powerful instruction. Not given in some complicated form, but given very simply. As Jesus is speaking and identifying Himself, I am the light of the world. He who follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We need to find one word to to hitch on to, one word to embrace as instruction. And it's the word follows. That's the instruction that he's given. In order for us to have the light of life, in order for us to be out of darkness, in order for us to embrace all that he's brought into the world, he gives this simple instruction, he who follows me, he who follows me, he who follows me won't walk in darkness. He who follows me will have the light of life, the life that is abundant, the light that I brought into the world. To be exalted in every man, woman, and child that would call upon my name. The light of life. So I want us to just think for a moment as we pursue life, as we embrace all that Jesus brings into this world, abundant life, as we celebrate the result of Him bringing life into this world and life being the light of men. As we come to this place, I want us to stop and consider what does it mean to follow Jesus? I mean, it's really simple to consider and simple to think about, but I think it would be a shame to complicate something so important. As we pursue life, everything that Jesus called us to, everything that He called us into, everything that He did on our behalf to bring life into our existence, how can we follow Him? And here's what I'd like to do, and it's a little bit different. It might even be a little bit odd, and it may make some people a little uncomfortable. And now you're thinking, oh, my God. But I want to ask you to think. That's not meant to sound insulting. It's just because we come to church and and we listen or we pretend to listen or we watch the clock or we thumb through the bulletin a dozen times or, you know, but we we just, we go through the church service in in the, the mentality of receiving, but I want us to all participate this morning. And I want you to think. 
We're not going to take long. I mean, it might be 30 seconds, but that's going to feel like an eternity. I want you to think, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And then maybe jot your ideas down if you're taking notes. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Some of the pins are still going and some of the, the wheels are still turning and that's fine. But I think it's a big deal. If Jesus came to bring life, if in him was life and life was the light of men, and Jesus says, if you'll follow me, you'll have the light of life. I want to make sure that we pursue what it means to follow him, that we embrace, discuss, that we talk about, that we move in the direction that brings us to that place so that we can embrace those things. So now, here's where I call out the courageous. You don't have to share your thoughts, but I would be interested in hearing what some of those thoughts are. I mean, what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do you do it? What, what did you write down? What, what stirred in you? And I mean, we're only going to take a few, but you can just kind of throw your hand up. Okay, what do you got back here? <laughs> I like, I like, don't hesitate, it's good. Did y'all hear that? It was, but, but it's really great. I mean, don't ask questions and don't hesitate. But not questioning Jesus. Putting him in a place of absolute authority in your life, that's great. Oh, what do you got? I love that. Build a relationship is incredible. Anybody else? What do you got? Surrender. Wow, that's a good one. That's really good. Anybody? No one over here in this section? I'm going to dance over here. Trust? Trust is good. But where, who's, you got it? Believe in the word. Believe in the word. Believe in the word and then trust really go hand in hand. Because when you see the word believe in the scripture, it really literally means put trust in. So you two are saying something very similar. Putting trust in. So let the wheels turn. I mean, not just today in service, but consider that. Take it into your prayer time. What can I do to follow Jesus? Because the light of life is at stake. And I desire to see everything that Jesus brought into this world released in and through my life. I mean, uh, I'm, my thoughts were, were very practical as it concerns this. Just very, very practical. We're probably saying a lot of the same things, but just saying it in different ways. But I know that if... If I were to take, uh, Bill, you're always called upon and picked on to be the example. You know why? It's because you're, you're so polite and compliant and you're just so good and such a servant. That's why today I'm not going to choose you and I'm going to say, Marcus, will you come up? <laughs> I'm, I'm just messing with you, Marcus. Prickly. Yeah, all right. So here's the deal. I, I want you, I mean, this, you're going to feel like this is children's church for a minute, but just hang in there, okay? I want you to go somewhere. And I'm going to follow you. (laughs) 
Yeah, there you go. We don't have all day. It's almost lunchtime. He, all right. He's on the move. Yeah, don't look over there. We didn't vacuum over there. Yeah. All right. Now, I think they get the point. So if you want to head back, it's not my place to give you direction. But Okay. So, I mean, it's simple, right? Do you remember a game when you were kids, follow the leader? You know? I mean, that was so ridiculous right now. Thank you for that. You guys can give Marcus a hand. He's such a great leader. But there's, there's absolutely one thing that's necessary for me to follow him. I mean, there's a lot of things, but I want you to consider this as really important. I mean, as we're thinking about this, the, the trust and the, 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 the study and the word to get to know him and build fellowship and the not questioning where he's going, you know, even though he went all the way over there. I mean, all those things are great. One thing had to happen for me to follow him. He had to be before me. He had to be before me. If at any point I became to where I was walking beside him or I got in front of him, I'm no longer following him. He had to come first is what that means. And as we decide to follow Jesus, as we say the light of life is at stake, everything that Jesus brought into this world that is meant to be embraced and exalted in my life, all that is good, all that is abundant, all that is prosperous, all that is living is at stake. I need to keep Jesus first. He's got to come and he's got to be out in front all the time. I'm never going to get ahead of him and do my own thing. I'm never going to walk beside him, but I'm going to follow him and be right behind him everywhere he goes. Putting Jesus in front, putting Jesus first is absolutely necessary for us. And I know that it seems really simple, but I can guarantee you this as believers, me as a pastor, if I can get this, we're going to see incredible things. And when you consider this, this is really what is being challenged in our everyday life. All the cares and all the anxieties, all of the, the worries, all of the, the competition for Jesus coming first in our life. This is what's at stake and this is why it's at stake. Because if we can stop putting Jesus first, then we cut off the light of life. We've got to follow Jesus. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture here of why life through light. I mean, isn't it an interesting thing that, that the book of John doesn't just say, in Him was life and He gave life to men. But that it says, in Him was life and life was the light of men. God's obviously choosing light to move life in and through our lives. They're, they're associated throughout the Scripture. Where you see light, you see life. Where you see darkness, you see death. They're connected in the Word. So why life through light? I want to get into the Scripture and embrace that quickly. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. I'd like for you to turn there if you will. Ephesians 5, 8-9. through 9. It talks about me and it talks about you and everything that Jesus has done on our behalf. It says, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light. 
Isn't that an interesting way to put it? Not even that you were formerly in darkness and now you are in light, but you were formerly darkness. You were formerly darkness and now you are light. What's the difference between those two? I mean, darkness and light, death and life, before there was sin and the result of sin being death, now there is righteousness and the result of righteousness being life. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And then we have this instruction. So walk as children of light. And it goes on to reveal what that means. It says, for the fruit of light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. So that as God brings the light of life into each one of us, what He's bringing into our lives is goodness, righteousness, and truth. All through Jesus Christ. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness. The state of being good. The state of being good where the doing of good is the most natural thing for us. That you can find no clearer image in the scripture than in the book of Acts in chapter 10 verse 38. It speaks of Jesus and it says like this. You know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good. Now listen to this biblical definition of doing good. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is meant to be a part of our life as the light of life comes in and is stirred among us. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, that life that delivers people from affliction, is meant to be part of our existence. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to applaud and honor Chance for his actions. To put others before himself, to see them set free from danger and harm and affliction. Righteousness. I'll give you a passage of scripture here, Romans chapter 8 verse 10. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. When Jesus is bringing life and life in abundance into each one of our lives, it's because of the righteousness that comes through the light, the light of life that he's bringing into each one. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus gives these instructions. If you continue in my word, you'll truly be disciples of mine. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The truth that enters into our life results in freedom. And in a world that wants to offer up so much information and sell it as truth, it's important for us to keep in mind what truth actually is. Jesus revealed what truth is when he prayed for us. He prayed for you. As he prays for us in John chapter 17, I encourage you to read that prayer. If you've not read that prayer, make it regular reading. Jesus prayed for you 
and he prayed that in John chapter 17. He asked God to do something for you. He said, God, sanctify them in truth. Sanctify means set them apart. It means keep them separate. Keep them different from the rest of the world. And it's because of truth that we're sanctified. And then he goes on to reveal what truth is. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. You know what that means? That means the word of God is what makes us different. It's what sets us apart. And as the world is wanting to pass off all kinds of information as truth, we have truth in the Word of God. And it sets us apart from a world that's dying and suffering death. Identifies us as those who embrace life. So why is it that God would reveal life through light? Because light exists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. And why would he want that? Well, those things are listed as fruits of light. And there's something very important about fruit. God's called us to be fruitful, and there's a reason for that. Not just because we're supposed to be do-gooders. Not just because we're supposed to look a certain way or behave a certain way. But because when we do good and when we behave rightly, something happens. There's something powerful about the concept of fruit. If I were to hold in my hand a piece of fruit, uh, an apple, let's say, you would see the ability to nourish. But not only would you see the ability to nourish, if you were to cut it open, you would see the ability to multiply. Because inside the fruit that's produced is the seed to reproduce. And God's called us to the light of life. So that goodness and righteousness and truth could prevail in us and be released through us so that it could spread. As that fruit is released, the seeds are sown and fruit multiplies. Goodness, righteousness, and truth spreading across the world. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.